Uh, welcome to Beyond Church. For those who don't know me, my name is Josh, and yes, I am regretting the decision to wear shorts tonight. Couldn't really find any uh, long pants, didn't really want to iron any or wash any, so I just kind of wore these ones. So if I do shake a little bit, uh, yeah, look, bad decision. If you are joining us tonight, you're joining us right um, smack bang in the middle of a five-part series, which we originally named Brand New. And um, just to catch you up, if, you, if you've missed it or maybe forgotten, um, Brand New, um, in this series, um, over the first two weeks, we kind of looked at this idea, um, this thing called the Temple Model. And um, this temple model kind of represented uh, all ancient religions, um, went back to the Greeks, the uh, Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and kind of was the framework at which they operated. Um, and it, it characterizes a lot of uh, religions today. And this temple model, um, even though it looks a little different in its different context, always consists of four things, and um, they're up on the screen. Um, within the temple model, there's always a sacred place. Uh, a place where um, either it's a, it's a section of dirt, maybe it's a building or it's a grave site, but it's, it's a place that's sacred to God. And then within this sacred place is a set of sacred texts. Um, and these sacred texts uh, could be an oracle, could be an inscription, but these sacred texts are taken by a group of sacred men who, um, uh, who interpret the text and kind of control the text and... They look at the text and then they go out to the followers of this religion, uh, whatever it is, and then they go, this is what the text says, this is how you live, and this is how you've got to, uh, if you don't do this, then God's going to condemn you. And that's kind of how religions have operated, and that's um, kind of the temple model. And uh, Christianity was birthed out of a religion which followed this framework, this temple model framework. If you don't know, Christianity was actually birthed out of Judaism. And Jesus himself was a Jew, and he rocks up on the scene, and he kind of does away with this temple model way of thinking, sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and he introduces something brand spanking new, and that's what we've been looking at this whole, uh, throughout this series, and kind of the premise of, of this series, and it's up on the screen, is that the arrival of Jesus, when he steps onto the pages of history, he signaled the end of the temple model this way of relating to God, and the start of something brand spanking new. And tonight, and um, over the course of the series, we're going to be looking at what that brand new thing was. Because unfortunately, even though Jesus signaled the end of the temple model and the start of something brand new, this wasn't temple model 2.0, this wasn't some knockoff Judaism religion, this was something brand new. Unfortunately, People have smuggled some of this old temple model thinking and brought it into Christianity and mixed it in with and added it to and kind of blended it with this Christianity way of thinking. And unfortunately, it's had an impact on the way you and me operate with church and the way Christianity operates. So tonight, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at is how this temple model way of thinking has impacted Christianity. And to kind of get the ball rolling, to kind of get us all on the same page, um, I wanted to start off by talking about pancakes. Uh, the best uh, food, I feel like you can, you can eat it for breakfast, lunch or dinner. It's really socially acceptable anywhere. If you're gluten-free, unfortunately, look, this is one of the, the best gifts you get to miss out on, but... 
Pancakes are the best thing in the world. In fact, they characterise uh, a lot of my diet. Um, it is the breakfast I have every morning. Um, and I've been on this mission to kind of find the best instant shake pancake mix. And I've tried Betty Crocker. I've tried the Coles brand, the Woolies brand. I've tried uh, that knockoff IGA brand. I've tried uh, Greens. And I've come to the conclusion that the best instant shake kind of pancake mix, if you're looking in the market to kind of revolutionise your breakfast is white wings. I mean, white wings pancake mix is the best thing. And I'm not just talking like any pancake mix. You've got to get the, but, the buttermilk ones. They're just the best pancakes ever. And you can get creative with them. I have. I've got um, uh, ice cream that I put with it. I put um, blueberries. I put uh, raspberries. I put strawberries. Getting really creative with my breakfast. And these things are the best things you've ever tasted. Mum couldn't believe I ever cooked them. It was just the best thing ever. And one day um, I was with my friends and I had this you know, mix of white wings and we were going we to cook it up. And um, then you know, one of my mates, we were sitting around the table um, and we're sitting there, some of us got our Milo, some of us got our chives and we're talking about, oh, about, about mixing this thing up. And then one of us kind of has the brilliant idea why don't we just take a teaspoon of chai and kind of mix it in with this pancake mix and kind of make these chai pancakes? Wouldn't that be great? And my other friend is sitting there and is like, that is a brilliant idea, and you know what? Uh, let's just grab a teaspoon of Milo as well and just kind of mix it all in and kind of just make this pancake. It can be chai, it can be a Milo. Well, look, we might even go out to you know White Wings if this works well and just go create a new flavour and go Chilo pancakes. This was just amazing. We were... We thought we were onto something big, so we kind of took a teaspoon of chai and mixed it in. We took a teaspoon of this Milo and mixed it in with this pancake mix, and we got it cooking. Got, got it, shook it up, cooked it up. One of my mates cooked it up, and then we, I got this kind of like got this pancake, and it's on this plate, and I get handed to me, and I just wanted to describe just what this thing looks like because it really it wasn't your average pancake. It, it, it was a, it was something. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't circular like most pancakes. It wasn't even, uh, oh, I wouldn't even call it rectangular or any other geometry shape. It was more of like a squash muffin, like someone sat on it and then got like a roller pin and just kind of flattened it out. It was just this brown kind of like lumpish thing on top of like this plate. And it looked terrible. But I was like, oh, what mum said, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Look, I'll, I'll just eat it anyway. It's, it's chai, it's Milo. It, it all tastes good. First mouthful. Boy, was it an experience. <laughs> and one that I'm sure you're glad you never experienced because this thing, I know you're told not to judge a book by its cover, but pancakes is the exception to the rule because this thing was disgusting. I mean, it looked bad, but it tasted worse. I think I... I don't even want to like explain how bad it was, but I'm just telling you, it took 1.5 seconds from that thing to go from my mouth into the bin, and I was like gargling salt. This thing was so bad, and it was crazy how just a teaspoon of like chai and a teaspoon of Milo mixed in with this White Wings amazing thing could d- create such a disgusting, um, disgusting mess. It was kind of like just a small dose of the wrong thing kind of corrupted the whole thing. And the same is true with Christianity, with this temple model thinking. We've taken a small dose of temple model thinking and mixed it in and blended it with this Jesus-following thinking, this brand new thing that Jesus came to establish. 
and it's unfortunately corrupted Christianity and changed the way and diluted the thing that Jesus came to establish. And it's impacted it and affected it. And kind of just to paint a picture of what, how it's affected and impacted Christianity, we're going to be looking at a story in the book of Matthew. Um, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And um, it's written by one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his disciples, a guy called Matthew, and he creatively named his uh, book, just like we creatively named our brand new series, brand new, he named his book Matthew. And this account that he writes is um, in chapter 12, verse 1, which we're going to be picking up on. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to look at it. Otherwise, if you can get that up on your smartphone or your, uh, whip out your Bibles and look at it, uh, feel free to. But we're just going to jump into this text and kind of look at how this temple model thinking affected the way these people acted and treated people. And I'm going to point some things out and explain some things as we go along. So it says this at the start of the, oh, in verse 1. At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So Jesus is out um, with his disciples out in this grain field. And it's on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is, um, the, is Saturday and um, this Saturday thing uh, was to um, on the Sabbath. Uh, the Jewish culture was given a command that they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was a sacred day to God. That they uh, they were supposed to do nothing except go to the temple and worship God. They couldn't eat. They couldn't do anything else. And these disciples are out with Jesus in the in the grain fields. And at the time, his disciples were hungry. They were peckish, they were spanging, and they began to pick some heads of the grain and eat them. So they were breaking the rules. And this kind of group of people called the Pharisees see this, and they point it out. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, look, look at what your disciples are doing. They're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. They're breaking the rule. They're eating on the Sabbath. And Jesus kind of calls them out and kind of sits them down, and he puts them in his place, and he says this, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And they're like, yes. These people are like people who had read the Old Testament and these these people knew it really well. So when when Jesus said, haven't you read? They're like, yes, we have. And haven't you read when David and he, when his companions were hungry, they entered the house of the Lord and he and his companions were uh, ate the consecrated bread, which was not unlawful for them to do, but only the priests. So they broke the rules, but God was all right with them. What's, what's the big deal there? And they did that on the Sabbath, and they're like, well, that's, that's one point, but, but David was different, like he was a king. And then Jesus gives them another, another example. Well, haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? So there was a, there was a group of um, priests who on the, Saturday, on the Sabbath actually worked, and that broke the rule, but yet they were still fine with God. And Jesus kind of gives them this example. It's like, why they are right with God if they can do that? And the, the Pharisees kind of look at him like, well, that's, that's a good point, but, but they, they, they're different, right? They're, they're sacred to God. They're loved more by God. It, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, what's your point, Jesus? And then Jesus kind of lines them up, and then he says this. I say... Something greater than the temple is here. Something bigger, something better than the temple is here. What do you mean, Jesus? Something bigger than the temple is here. And Jesus would say, look around. You see him over there? And you see him over there? 
And you see him over there, you're like, yes, Jesus. And you see everyone else around, yes. Well, they're sacred to God too. In fact, they're more sacred to God than any piece of dirt or any piece of um, any building you can step into. Then the people around you are more sacred to God than that. Something greater than the temple is here. And then he calls them out. He's like, uh, if you would have known this, or if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you have not condemned the innocent. If you would have known these words, you should have known it. Like, I told you, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have never done this. You would have never treated these people in this way. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God is all about love, not rules. He's all about love one another and the rules come second. The rest is detail. Love one another and grace, not sacrifice. And that's what Jesus has pointed out here is temple model thinking is all about holding to... or uh, In temple model thinking, you always ask yourself, well, is, is that the right thing to do? And are they following the right thing? And if they're not, well, God's, they're a bad person. Whereas Jesus following thinking, the brand new thing Jesus set up was um, in every situation, every circumstance, the question you ask is, are they following the rules? No, it's the question you ask is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me when, um, when somebody breaks a rule? What am I supposed to do in this situation? And that's what Jesus was on about here. And he's like, the temple model is dead. And I brought something new. And it's all about love. Unfortunately, though, we've mixed this temple model thinking, this way of thinking, in with Christianity. This kind of uh, do the rules and then follow the rules. And then God will kind of love you for that. This kind of sacred place, sacred man kind of thinking. We've mixed it in with Christianity. And just like how my chai and my mila kind of corrupted the whole white wings thing, this temple model thinking mixed in with Christianity has corrupted it. And we've become more of a community, and Christianity has become more of a community that's all about what we believe rather than how much we love. When we mix temple model thinking with Christianity, we become more of a community that's all about what we believe rather than how much we love. And it's why the church has such a bad backgrounding in uh, the history of, and why they're not characterized by love in the history. And unfortunately, there's a little bit of temple model thinking in you and me. And you're like, oh, is there? I, I, look, I, I, I'm a pretty loving person. I don't... There's not temple model thinking in me, surely. And I just want to give you a couple of examples of what temple model thinking might look like in your life. If you've ever asked yourself, is that a sin? It's temple model thinking. Because what you're really asking is... I don't, want to, I don't want to love that person. I know what love requires of me, but I don't want God to get hacked off. I don't want to do it, but I don't want God to get hacked off. Is it a sin? Is it all right if I don't treat that person loving? Here's another one. If you think that you have to go to a building to have a relationship with God, if you think you have to go to church to have a relationship with God, it's temple model thinking. Because it's all about a place. It's all about a location. But Jesus did away with that. It's not, Jesus isn't located in a place or a location. You can meet him wherever you are, whether you're at home, whether you're driving in the car, whether you're at a park, 
whether at work, you can meet God wherever you are. You never have to come to a location to meet God. He meets you where you're at. If you've ever asked yourself or ever thought uh, or been more concerned about when some, uh, more concerned about whether God would be angry at you when you fail rather than the way you treated somebody, it's temple model thinking. If you've ever been more concerned about when you've sinned against someone about how God, uh, how God will react rather than how you've treated that person, it's temple model thinking. Because God says, I'm all right with you. Look around and treat the people and love those people the way I loved. And unfortunately, this temple model thinking still exists in church today. But fortunately, we have an opportunity to kind of do away with this and start something brand new and re-embrace this thing that Jesus started. And to do that, um, particularly if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you tonight. And if you're new here to Beyond, uh, we've got this thing called For Monday because we believe there is no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you or change you for Monday. And this week's For Monday is kind of a pick-off from last week's For Monday. And if you weren't here, last week's For Monday was to ask yourself the question, every situation, every circumstance, what does love require of me? In every situation, when you're eyeball to eyeball with somebody, what does love require of me? And tonight, with this week's Full Monday, I want to kind of take this theoretical concept of what does love require of me and give you just three application points, kind of three statements of what that actually looks like to apply what love requires of me. And they're up on the screen. Um, what love, doing what love requires of me means that you don't do anything that will hurt you, that you don't do anything that will hurt others, and that you aren't mastered by anything. So doing what love requires of you means that you don't do anything that hurts you. When you hurt you, you're not just hurting you, but you're hurting the people that love you. In fact, and God loves you, and when you hurt you, you hurt God because God loves you. So that means when doing what love requires of you means that you never make a decision that will hurt you financially, that will hurt you professionally, that will hurt you financially, that will hurt you relationally, but you always are looking to love yourself. And if you can't love yourself, then you can't apply the next one because doing, doing what love requires of you means that you love others and you don't do anything to hurt others. That means, and I'm just not talking about your friends or, or your work colleagues, but I'm talking about everyone, whether that's your neighbour, even, even your worst enemy. It means that you do nothing to hurt them, but you always ask, what does love require of me and how can I love in this situation? And finally, doing what love requires of you means that you aren't mastered by anything. And here's why. When you are mastered by something, it will always keep you from loving someone. If you're mastered by temple model thinking, just like the Pharisees were, it, will, it kept them from loving the people around them. And it applies to everything else that kind of masters you. If you're mastered by alcohol or pornography or an, another addiction or maybe you're mastered by your job or your career or a need to perform or achieve, you will always be kept from loving someone. And now I'm not saying that you can't love, but I'm saying that you can't love to the extent that Jesus loved. Because sure, you'll be able to love in some situations, but when there's a situation that comes in opposition with um, with what you're mastered by, love will always lose. 
If you're mastered by your finances, sure you'll be able to love people to the extent, to some extent. But when there's a decision that you have to make that um, is an opposition, where you get to choose, this is what love requires of me, and this is kind of going to hurt me financially, though, you will always uh, neglect love because. It hurts you financially. You couldn't do that to yourself. Whenever you're mastered by something, it will always keep you from loving someone and it will always stop you from doing what love requires of you. And if you're a Christian tonight, you kind of have to apply this. This is a non-negotiable. This is Jesus' central teaching, to do what love requires of you. And if you're, if you're an unchurched person, if you uh, wouldn't see yourself a Christian, you can kind of take this or leave this if you want. But my hope is that everyone takes this and applies this because here's what I know. Who you are today has more to do with the way people treated you than what they believed. Who you are today has more to do with the way people treated you than what they believed. And there's two people that have impacted you in your life. And they're not people who are Christians and non-Christians. They're not people who are Baptists or Catholics. They're not even people who were church people or unchurch people. But these two people that have impacted you were people that loved you and people that hurt you. People that loved you in such a way, impacted you and affected the way you are and it, um, it's, it's shaped your worldview and it's grown you into the person you, uh, you are today. They took the time to listen to you. They took the time to nurture you. And these people have had a profound impact on your life. And there's another group of people group of people that hurt you, group of people that kind of put themselves above you, didn't, didn't really care about how they treated you, and in effect, you were hurt by that. And it may be the reason why you're a bit standoffish when it comes to some situations, because you were hurt in a certain situation. And maybe for some of you, you were hurt by Christians, people who believed in God, people who um, went to church on a Sunday but for some reason, they hurt you in such a way. And for some of you, it's the reason why you resist church and it's the reason why you push back against God, not because of who Jesus is, but because of the way the church treated you. And if that's you, if you're an unchurched person and you've been hurt by the church, and church Christianity has been modelled to you in such a way that isn't that loving, I want you to know that. Regardless of the way, the way the church has treated you, and the regardless of the way church has been modelled to you, Jesus still loves you. No matter if those people, those Christians, or um, the way or those bad experiences you had, even though they may have made you feel that you're not that loved, Jesus still loves you, no matter what. So, I just want to challenge you this week, if you're a Christian particularly, to do what love requires of you in every situation. Let's wrap up in prayer. Dear Father, we just thank you for tonight. Um, thank you for this opportunity to, to speak. Um, we just pray that you impact us, that you help us to love, Lord, even though it can be difficult, and that you help us to re-embrace this brand new thing that you came to establish and let go of this temple model thinking. In your name we pray. Amen.